Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. David McLean here. And Jan Goldsmith here. And we've got sex, we've got crime, we've got death, so we better get started. <gasps> Absolutely. Well, we've also got Melbourne. So how well do you know Melbourne? This is a line from Sarah Bailey's latest book, Into the Night. The Yarra River is a bed of pewter, rumpled with white moonlight. Oh, very poetic there. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, your main character has just moved to Melbourne, and now I'm going to give you a chance to read from your book. It's not like I'd never spent time in large cities. I had visited Sydney and Newcastle, but I was woefully unprepared for the permanent change of pace in Melbourne. The constant sounds, the steady flow of people... The height of the buildings, the colours, everything was amplified. Teenagers here were moodier, professionals were more polished, the art was artier and the music was louder. I arrived sad and flat, but in spite of myself, I was quickly charged by the beat of the city. Now, this is Gemma Woodstock, and this is the second story about Gemma. You uh, had the first story, The Dark Lake, and you you gave her background, it summed up very well, a couple of paragraphs, so well, thank I, you. <laughs> I, I, I know Gemma very well. But how does Gemma know herself? So I'm going to actually get you to read just a, a, a four more lines from page 88. My face is serious too, but there's a blandness about my appearance. I'm easily forgettable. My pale green eyes are wide, but dull as if the lights have been turned off inside. My dark hair is like a wild forest, swirling around my face and tumbling halfway down my back. Stuck between girl and woman, I appear slightly haunted, which I'm not sure is an ideal look for a senior detective. A senior detective. That's right. (laughs) Now, that's the only physical description we ever get of um, Gemma. But uh, a senior detective... Yes, yeah. So she has moved from her home country town, um, a fictional town in, in regional New South Wales, to Melbourne to join the homicide squad there. So she's she's coming in as a um, small fish in a massive pond. Oh, over 100 detectives. And she has to relate to a whole new team and their ongoing assignments. So let's, let's have a look at some of the cases that the uh, Melbourne uh, <laughs> detectives are, are looking at. The Jacoby case. Yeah, so when she arrives, she obviously arrives, um, as always, with a plane already in flight. So there's lots of stuff already going on when she when she gets there. And there's a big uh, case where a judge or a, a previous um, high court judge has been accused of uh, pushing a prostitute off a fancy balcony yeah. apartment. Um, and it's all very suspicious. But nobody saw it. Nobody no, saw it. Of course nobody saw anything. So did he do it? Did he not do it? Yeah. Um, which has got – it's very political. So obviously they're, they're being very careful with, with that. Um, and then she – She's first at the crime site but misses out to a Detective Sergeant Myers to lead another murder. Now what case is that? Yeah, so a homeless man is, mm. is brutally murdered um, in the middle of the night in a sort of abandoned concrete pipe, water pipe, um, and I guess it's an it's another way of showing that Gemma, who's been so used to getting her way in her small country town, being a bit of a favourite of the mm. senior sergeant there, that she is actually sort of shoved to the back of the line. Now she has a connection with homeless people because of Macy. Yeah, she's befriended a woman at the bottom of her um, 
apartment in the city where she lives um, and it's actually almost become her closest friend in the city. So they both um, have troubled relationships with their children. So, mm. um, yeah, she's both got a lot of empathy for her. They yes. don't see. That's right. Uh, but then she gets a case working with Chloe and Nick Fleet and this is big. A man is stabbed but not any ordinary man. <laughs> no, it's sort of the, the case of a lifetime, I suppose, really. So a movie star, a sort of like a neighbours um, actor who's sort of jumped the ship to being a movie star right on the cusp of kind of international fame is stabbed um, live on a take of his zombie film which is being um, shot at the top of Spring Street in Melbourne. Um, and it's that real notion of um, hiding in plain sight. So a masked, costumed zombie has stabbed him, or so they can tell from the tape that was rolling at the time. Um, and so they're sort of set to try to work out who the hell had motive and why and, <laughs> and how. why? Well, yep. of course, Wendy Furler. Yes, it's um, the agent of the uh, attacked mm. celebrity. Yes. Um, and she's sort of got a lot of um, hopes pinned to this young man who she fears is sort of leaving the nest, I yes, guess, after maybe going finding to fame. Yeah, that's right. Lizzie? Yeah, so he's the actor who's attacked, has a, has a girlfriend who's also an actress. She was in the film too. Um, and she was the one that found, her and, uh, found him and saw, realised that something more than stage blood was going that's on. That's right, yeah. So she's she, very traumatised yeah. by um, witnessing his attack and realising that it wasn't part of the script. So, And so was yeah. Brody. Yes, the um, the secret lover that oh. reveals. So, yeah, there's lots of um, elements and layers uh, to this actor's life that were happening off screen. Ava Jones. Yeah, this is sort of where I've been told there's a bit of a Me Too um, mm. theme that was an accidental theme that was introduced to the story, but one of his co-stars on the film set was being harassed by the director So, and he, the, the attacked actor was aware of that, so he had sort of been standing up for her. And Katia, uh, Katia the, the executive producer, is also worried about this director. Yeah, there's a producer on the movie who's been working with the director for a long time and, and sort of covering a multitude of sins because she's so ambitious. She sort of, um, I guess, is more worried about her reputation than, than the goings-on behind the scenes. And the director, she's also worried about the director using again. So, look, right. it sounds like a whole script <laughs> just there. But, script within but, a script, yeah. They, but they all have they all have reasons, I can tell you. So what about um, this, this main actor, his name's Sterling Ward. So what about his family? Um, so Sterling's family, um, I guess Gemma has quite a lot of empathy for because they're country people too. So they kind of weirdly had this son that turned out to not be suited to farming life like mm. his siblings but um, was had the bright eyes of Hollywood from a young age. So they feel proud of him but they feel very disconnected and, and have for a long time. He moved to Melbourne when he was a teenager to work on a TV show and they, they just don't understand his, his life at all. And then there's the frenzied desire for information from uh, not only just the journalists, but the, his fans. They all want to know. You know yeah. just I liked the media and social media um, commentary throughout the story. And for me, it's always a big part of any, any news piece now is the way that people react in the different way. The homeless case, for example, garnered attention in comparison to that of the murdered star. So I, I liked the, the differences in the way that that was reacted to. We get a little bit of uh, an insight into um, just how Gemma feels about it all too, about the families of somebody who's been murdered from 83. Oh, oh he's just looking minute. around for the page. And here I think we have it. 
I feel such pity for those in the orbit of the recently murdered. Out of nowhere, bam, not only is their loved one gone, but their own carefully kept secrets are suddenly everyone's business. Their face is all over the internet for every old classmate and ex-lover to see, and every emotion they have is scrutinised, every action analysed. Although it's statistically likely that a loved one pulled the trigger or twisted the knife, that the husband strangled the wife or the son beat his mother, I feel sorry for the ones who are unwillingly along for the ride. It's a brutal journey. Mm. But then when there's a confession, you think, oh, those police must be so pleased. Yeah, I mean, I I write really police procedural stories, so there is a lot of start-stop. There's a lot of boring, meticulous detail gathering. Um, So it is that that real slog, um, which is a bit of a bit tricky trying to manage pace with a thriller Um, but I I do find that's just the way that my stories tend to fall and it is um, I guess painting that picture of how how hard and frustrating it is for the cops when there is just progress is a is a weird notion I think when it comes to a criminal investigation it's a lot of two steps forward and 20 steps back and not just one confession there was about 20 confessions so why would you confess (laughs) to a murder well there's there's a bit of a phenomenon apparently where people you know just want to be part of the drama and when something like this happens um, hotlines apparently light up with people who who just want to be close to the story. So um, I think particularly in in a world where there's an acting uh, dramatic kind of flavour to these people, some people were sort of just wanting to be having their the fifteen drama. minutes of fame. Yeah. Mm. So no more about the plot, but it really does work. Let's look at the characters. You describe Gemma Woodstock as high functioning but deeply broken. Yeah, I get I get so many emails about Gemma. I have to say, um, she's she's the story for me. So she's already had one book. This is the second, and, and she's going to be in a third. And she is she's very broken. There's a lot that's happened in her past that's that sort of I guess made her that way. But she does tend to wallow a lot too. Oh. <laughs> She's got a young son. You know, she does. It's so yeah. young Ben, who's only five years old, and you know what she expects from Ben's father, I think, is incredible. Yeah. And then, I, I look, I, I, I was so cross with her. I hope she's going to grow up soon. You might have but, sent me one of the emails. <laughs> but yes, how she treats her father's new partner. You know, mm. her mother died many years ago, and, yeah. and it's just that inability to sort of see happiness for somebody else, or maybe just not recognizing happiness at all. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's she's complicated. She. Is complicated. She's got a friend called Josh. You no, know, she he's a very good mate, very easy, but seems to be just a friend. So, what does she do for sex? Uh, so she uh, is uh, planting herself in hotel bars and lobbies, and sort of actively pursuing one night stands, or not even the entire night, to be honest. So, <laughs> she's really almost playing a bit of a, a character herself. I think of a, like an anonymous. Vessel. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> ah, so sex with strangers. Now, there's people at work. She forms her own little team. There's Chloe, who um, well, is very pregnant, yep. so does more of the desk work. And Nick Fleet. How does she get on with Nick? Yeah, so Nick is her new partner. And um, in the Dark Lake, uh, she had a relationship with her former police partner. So she sort of, there's form there, I suppose. Um, but Nick is an old all together different kettle of fish and um, she really struggles to try to work out what he's all about. I think she spends a lot of her time wanting his approval um, but also being very unsure really what his motivations are and he's he's very um, he's very 
sort of bristly and difficult and sometimes quite rude. So okay. navigating him is, is a full-time job in itself and very hairy as well. And smokes yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, he smokes a lot. That's true. Well, the last words of Sterling Ward, the murdered star, in his unpublished blog, he mentions some difficult decisions and a falling out with a good mate, massive news, this is shaping up to the be, be the best year of my life. I feel so lucky. Oh, no, he wasn't. Ominous, ominous. (laughs) So a brazen murder attempt with hundreds of witnesses in uh, Sarah Bailey's crime novel, Into the Night, set on the streets of Melbourne with zombies. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Well, sex, navigating the uh, pros and cons, approval, it seems like a perfect segue because sex... As an opening, uh, the word alone is bound to ensnare the listener and whet the appetite. Claire Strawn's The Learning Curves of Vanessa Partridge takes on the challenge of addressing this subject amongst adolescents and the associated questions of desire, consent, independence and control. So, Claire, welcome back to 3CR. Thank you very much for having me. Now, the character you've created here, 15-year-old Vanessa Partridge. What a girl. I mean... (laughs) Just some of the elements to this, uh, to her profile, her language, uh, dactylian, uh, digimist, <laughs> her love of language. Yeah, she's, she's got a, a passion for unusual words. And she's, she, a, she's an unusual girl. She also loves literature. She quotes she Tennyson, uh, refers to Emily Bronte and Shakespeare. I wish all students had been like that when I was teaching. She plays the cello. She's a high achiever, David. A very high achiever. And also into philosophy and Plato. I mean, but it also picks up in, in many ways on what uh, students, well, some of the students are actually thinking at this age. Just an example of the sort of philosophy. Right, she lumps next to me. Is that what you're so sad about? Because, frankly, it's not that likely that you're going to forget about your mother. And if you do, you can't be bothered by what you've forgotten unless you remember that you've forgotten it. In which case, it's no longer forgotten, right? I mean, something forgotten is only waiting to be remembered and it's immediately unforgotten the minute it is remembered. Or if it's truly forgotten, it's the same as if it never existed and therefore truly forgotten things can't bother us ever. She takes a breath. You should write that down in your observation book. Mind you, if it is a phobia, no amount of sense is going to do you one jot of good. (laughs) But but the sort of thinking um, and and such like there. Mm. Um, She's also got an emotional profile. Um, Talking about sex is one thing, but that growing emotional awareness at 15. Yeah, she's got desires. But how how were you able to capture that... 15-year-old voice and that sort of being on the precipice, basically? Um, I, I guess, I don't, I, I don't really know, um, except that she really landed on the page. I'd struggled for quite a while with a third-person point of view and wrestling with sort of get, making her not my old protagonist from the last novel. And then suddenly I actually literally woke up in the middle of the night and went, oh, I think I know what the first word is which was not the first word of the novel now but it was the word yes and I got up and I wrote this whole nearly the first chapter um in first person with this voice of Vanessa but I I actually went back to bed and thought oh no I'm writing in third person 
<laughs> then woke up and thought, no, that's pathological. You, this maybe, is clearly the voice. Maybe we should all be riding in our sleep. But, yeah. I mean, there's, there's also um, she doesn't pack her suitcase because this is a, a, mm. a plan to get some new clothes. Yeah, she wants to reinvent herself. And reinvent herself. There's also, uh, at one point, this whole scheming process to get access to her father's computer. Mm. So there's all of this emotional profile as well to yeah, her. Yeah, she's a complex girl. In some ways, she's incredibly naive. Um, she's sort of still childlike in many ways. But this is it. This is what uh, mm. 15-year-olds are struggling with. They've still got hold of the uh, naivety and innocence. So they're talking about Justin Bieber as a form of uh, virtual sex mm. on the cusp then of encountering or having physical encounters of their own. And so capturing that world and negotiating that world for children of that age mm. is incredibly I was kind challenging. Of, I've, I was a bit, I've been a bit horrified in a way that it, conversations with my own daughter and her friends when they were younger um, and many conversations with women, that the stories aren't, the stories are still the same. You kind of feel that we've sort of grown, but there's still so much confusion and so much pressure and so much feeling of obligation. Those those lines of consent are so blurry, um, especially if you you want to have sex. Well, you're, you've got to uh, encounter it or explore it, but then there's a point of compromise because what you've basically got then are three sex scenes mm. in this book, um, not uh, full uh, sex, uh, so to speak, if I can put it that way. I was, mm. I was thinking Clinton-esque. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. But they um, bring about that challenge. So one of the first ones, and to me perhaps the, the most um, – sort of revealing, mm. she encounters Bodhi, who's part of a greeny environmental group. He's 19, she's 15. Mm. And it's almost like following along in terms of how, well, for want of a better phrase, you get sucked in sort of thing into that, that realm. Well, she's wanted to... She's wanted to show Dareth. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that her, her brother's best friend... She, who's seventeen? She's, well, she's wanted to show, yeah. She's wanted to show him that she's a woman, mm. and and but but the person that she attracts is Bodhi, and him being interested in her is overwhelming. She doesn't really, she doesn't even really know if she's attracted to him back. Mm. It's it's his interest that is attractive. And then, but the way he yeah. expresses his interest, then is that acceptable? Uh, because he thinks it is, uh, mm. and he's um, considerate in his own mind's eye. But it's not where she's at. No, I mean he's he's. I, I feel that he's um, putting a lot of pressure on her to have sex by saying that he's not putting any pressure on her to have sex. It's whenever you're ready. With that implication that we hope that's now. Mm. But it's it's a different set of expectations. I mean, four years mm. makes a hell of a difference. But even... Uh, yeah, he should know better. <laughs> even Vanessa, uh, there are people, because of a one-year difference at one point, well, I can't tell somebody because they haven't... 
crossed yeah, that. Cause, yeah, because Kelsey's only 14. Yes. And at, at 15, Vanessa already feels like she has to protect her from something. Yes. So, mm. the but Vanessa sort of follows on and, and gets overwhelmed. Is this what I should be doing? Mm. And then there's a sense of a loss of independence that goes along with that encounter with, with Bodhi. Yeah, I guess it. Um, it's hard. It's hard to tell how deeply those those experiences go when you're you, you've initiated something and you're really keen for something, but then the waters change and you're no longer safe. You don't feel safe anymore in it, and all the desire's gone, like Elvis leaving the building. But you don't know how to say, "I'm finished with this now. Can we? Can I go home?" <laughs> And she doesn't know how to say that. And so I think that loss of autonomy is, it takes, mm. well, it's going to take her the rest of her life to kind of come to Well, terms it's a continual process mm. in many ways, not just at 15, but all the way through. Yeah. Uh, and you've captured that because there are moments in the book where it's what she, she has in mind to say, but then what she actually says, yeah. that's one. It's one of the comedic um, devices, I guess. And then there's the second sex scene, if I can put it that way, an attempted rape scene. And this raises a whole range of issues. It's actually her father's business partner. Yeah. And so there are a whole range of moral and ethical and financial interests at stake, age, um, etc. Was she leading him on? Uh, expectation mm. and parental support. Yeah, the that that encounter, in, in a way, that whole the whole character of Richard Marx was kind of inspired by the the, the grab him by the pussy phenomena. Um, that 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 young women are objects to be to be sort of consumed, um, and it comes at a time in the book when Vanessa's really stepping into her power as a musician. She has this extraordinary experience of feeling in in her power and then it's, you know, challenged. Well, it undermines then her mm. confidence in being able to express herself musically. Mm, absolutely. Is one aspect of mm. it. But parental support. Now, it's sort of then complicated by the fact that uh, Simon, her father, is, well, it, it gets into the arena of domestic violence. Mm. Uh, Fiona, the mother, has in fact left and left the children because she's lost her identity. So Vanessa's now not getting support from her mother necessarily or her father. And is she going to be believed as a child? And mm. that's, a, that's been a perennial question. Yeah, well, she, in initially the, she isn't believed. Mm. And where do you then get that support? But then the issue is further complicated because the um, environmental group, with which Bodhi's associated, mm. want to take Richard Marks down, so to speak, because they're against a project he's wanting to develop, etc. And therefore, uh, Vanessa is further exploited because of this scene, mm. uh, because of this moment. Um, so an environmental group doing good, a group doing good for the environment, but at what cost? Yeah, they're desperate. Yeah. <laughs> they are really desperate and... I guess I, I, you, the the whole area of um, victim blaming and the shame of public humiliation um, through the internet and through the through the the book, um, 
you know, Richard is a high-profile person, so that was the sort of device. But this happens to people just in small communities, in school communities, that stuff gets out on the internet and they're bullied and shamed. So I, I yeah, I, I wanted to highlight that. I didn't think I could actually go to these places without mm. addressing that. But also- it is a comedy, by the way. <laughs> Well, it's it's a challenging comedy in mm. that regard, mm. um, but again, it it raises that whole notion of of the internet because we should be allowed to make mistakes, and in that mm. sexual arena uh, and encounters, it is going to be embarrassing. But now it's open for public ridicule in in many ways mm. and interpretation and the the uh, the response of of. Uh, Women sometimes to to abuse is is that is to not act is to be still, and and that's interpreted as some sort of non response or um, consent. Mm. Um, and then you've got the uh, third encounter, and that's with Darius. Spoiler. Spoiler. Sorry, but but um, that notion of then. Um, I'm just wondering how possible equal consent is. Well, that was one of my my questions. So poor poor Vanessa, I'd set her up for these because I'd really set her up to be vulnerable to these other experiences because um, it's it's not just what happens between uh, young women and men. Um, it's it's also how they're feeling about themselves in general, their relationships with other people in their lives that makes them more or less vulnerable to, to needing to be reassured somehow. Um, and I – so she'd had this – the Bodhi experience, which is one kind of wrestling with consent, the Richard Marks experience, which is a clearer wrestling with consent. And then I thought, well, what would consent actually look like between two young people who aren't necessarily terribly experienced and, just- and a tender exchange? And how possible? People. How I mean, from a male perspective, then uh, how would a male look at that? And and or how possible? I mean, it, it brings up a lot of challenges in terms of of how each gender, and especially at that age, look at it and what their expectations are. I, I think it's an exercise. I think consent is an exercise in sensitivity. So it's actually about being sensitive not only to your own desires but to the to to how the other person is experiencing whatever's happening in the moment and that's a skill I think we need to learn I don't think we have that's not our traditional way of approaching it but that gets me back to Bodhi who thinks he is but he's obviously not yeah Um, I don't think he's thought too much about it (laughs) (laughs) to be honest but what expectation can we have then of of um well Boys, I mean, it's, it's the big question in terms mm. of how much education are boys getting yeah. uh, in, in that regard. No, well, clearly not enough, and I think it's it's I think it's systemic, to be honest, and it's it it is pervasive in everything. It's not just in our sexual relations, but it's how women and girls are perceived generally, how we relate to each other generally. It's it's 
class, it's race, it's it's all sorts of things. Well, you've got of, this in the background. Respecting the other. Yeah, you've got this in the background of the novel with all the mm. other issues then because, mm. as I mentioned previously, there's domestic violence there. Mm. There's also this investment layer. Uh, so Simon, the father, has an opportunity to, to make it rich, so to speak. He's yeah. now... Or uh, richer. Uh, or richer. <laughs> He's married to the nanny. Vanessa and, and Ash, the children have got everything they could possibly want monetarily. Mm. So, and, but there's class distinction, so to speak, yeah. uh, there. There's also the environmental concerns. So in many ways, Vanessa's got all of these other aspects that she's dealing with. And what responsibility has she for those? Because she can actually do something about that environmental question yeah. too. She's in a position... Does she? Uh, is it going to betray her family? Well, she, she has does. to. The, the, you know, I, I literally Googled girl, daughters betraying their fathers and it came up with nothing. <laughs> Lots of fathers betraying daughters but not... Oh, not it was, And I had to kind of dig around and it was King, King Lear was one of the few uh, few references because it's just not something we Cordelia, do. Cordelia, though. Cordelia was honest. We are actually going to have to end it there, Claire. We're running oh, out of time. It's a thank great you for topic. Me. Well, it's a pleasure. The book, The Learning Curves of Vanessa Partridge by Claire Strawn and it's an Alan and Unwin release. Well, I also had an Alan and Unwin and uh, my book, well, actually it was Sarah Bailey's book, not... Yeah. Nothing to do with me. I just enjoyed reading it. Was Into the Night. 